Welcome to the More Than Just a Type podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. If you are new here, my name is Taja and I started this podcast in 2019. I actually had a blog before that and it all started because in the very beginning, I could not find the information that I was looking for when it came to managing type 1 diabetes and just fitness in general. So I decided to start a blog and share all the information that I learned, which then turned into this. And now here we are. And I'm so excited to share this episode with you today. My guest today is Rachel Halverson. Rachel is such a wealth of knowledge. She is such a joy so kind. You can tell just by listening to our conversation that she has such a big heart and she has such bright energy. I just, I feel so grateful to have had the opportunity to connect with her on this podcast. And I'm just so excited to share this conversation with you because I think that it, you're going to take away some really key stuff from it. And it's, I don't even, I can't, I know I say this all the time, but it's like, just having the opportunity to connect with other people who are also living with type 1 diabetes, there's nothing that feels better. Like, it's crazy. I don't know. I'm sure you can understand. It's like, you know, when you see someone wearing a Dexcom or something and then you just can't contain your excitement. You're like, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. It's like one of us in the wild. But I just feel so lucky to be able to have these conversations and then to share them with you. So I hope you enjoy this episode today. Rachel specializes in helping women with type 1 diabetes. She's a registered nurse and a certified diabetes educator. And she has also been living with type 1 diabetes for 23 years. And she coaches women using an approach that helps to promote hormone health which in turn makes blood sugar management a lot easier and more predictable. And she also hosts a YouTube channel, a YouTube channel, which provides education on diabetes management. So in this episode today, you're really going to hear a lot about the impact that our menstrual cycle hormones have on blood sugars, and then also how to increase predictability during the different phases of your menstrual cycle. And if you enjoy this episode today, I'd love to know and hear your biggest takeaway. If you could take a couple seconds, if you're not driving and you are able to do so, just scroll down on your device and tap to leave a quick review and let Rachel and I know what you enjoy most about this episode, what your biggest takeaway is. And if you feel that this episode could also help another living with diabetes, please take a second to tap the stars to rate the podcast. So whichever app you're listening to this podcast on, if you just scroll down and then tap the stars to rate the podcast, it helps to expand the reach of this podcast and it makes it possible for other people to find this show and benefit from listening to this content too. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a second to subscribe because that way you won't miss out on any of our upcoming episodes. You guys, thank you so much for your support. It, this show wouldn't be here without your support. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you. Welcome to the More Than Just a Type podcast, a place where we explore what it takes to live your best life. I'm your host, Taja Cato. 
expert in type 1 diabetes and fat loss, entrepreneur, and lover of all things fitness and personal development. Each week, we'll bring you a tangible tool, tip, or insight that'll inspire you and empower you to take action, achieve your goals, and live your best life. Thank you so much for being here, Rachel. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I know. This is, it's funny when you reached out because this, like, whole conversation topic I'm like it's something that I've always been interested in just for my own like I am so yeah so I'm so excited to learn more about it of course yeah I I feel like we don't I see a lot of that where like in Facebook groups they're like hey do you guys notice this during your period and and I think you know it's important to like understand kind of that we we do all experience really similar things totally yeah so you um you're a registered nurse right and mm-hmm. a diabetes educator. Yes. So I guess just for people who don't know you, if you want to just introduce and w- let everyone know, and you specialize in in menstrual cycles, right? Right. So um, I am a, like you said, a registered nurse and a certified diabetes care and education specialist. Um, and I do work in an endocrinology clinic where mm-hmm. I see Um, patients with diabetes, as well as other endocrine disorders. And then in my uh, free time, I also um, work with women about, um, with like a focus on women's health mainly, because I think we really are kind of lacking in that uh, field for sure, in that education. I'm sure you probably feel very similarly as when I was growing up with diabetes, I felt like type one education was definitely lacking and so um this is something I was like this makes a lot of sense to me especially when I was in nursing school I was like oh my gosh all of these hormones work together and even just not menstrual cycle but your stress cycle and they all come together and can affect your blood sugars so it kind of helps to know how those work so that you can add a little bit more predictability to your life and your blood sugars and I mainly noticed it. Um, my boyfriend is a person with type one diabetes as well. We always joke we met at diabetes camp did <laughs> when you? we were eight, but <laughs> we really don't remember each other. We we did find like a picture of ourselves uh, when we were eight together in the group picture. That's but. that's actually so amazing. It's like, what are the chances the universe would bring you guys back together? Yes, and it was great because we went to the same nursing school, and then we ended up. Um, talking in orientation at the hospital we ended up working at together and then we started dating after that that's so so cool um, but yeah it was and I really like living with another person with type one especially a male was when I realized how much like how different our experiences are and just because he doesn't have those monthly fluctuations and hormones that we do. That's not to say that men don't struggle with, you know, testosterone definitely affects um, blood sugars in a certain way, but they don't have that constant like once a month um, fluctuation. So I'm like struggling constantly with, or at least it felt like I was struggling constantly with juggling all of these, you know, setting a temp basil during my period and and all of these things. And he's over here sitting, eating cereal and <laughs> living yeah. his best life. <laughs> um, so it, it feels like sometimes women have to do a lot more 
um, because of those those sorts of things. And of course, once there's the whole pregnancy sort of thing involved, those hormones really also affect blood sugars significantly. So um, I that's why I was I was like, oh, we should definitely focus a lot like with my clients on women's health and and kind of looking at those different hormones and making sure those periods that they're having are healthy and regular. So, yeah, um, that's amazing. And you've had type one since you were five, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it's been a while. <laughs> it has, yes. And I told it, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, just how, and I don't even know where it came from, but like when we were growing up there, it was almost like people didn't really talk about type one diabetes, but now and maybe it's just more so social media because we didn't really have that back then. But like I, now people kind of know or they've heard about it or like they know something. But yes, absolutely. And I feel like like when I was really because we were, you know, I know you were diagnosed really young as well. Like there's only so much education you can provide a, a three-year-old or a five-year-old. And so like I didn't ever get education like after, like when I went off to college, I didn't get re-educated. You know, I didn't see a diabetes educator for whatever reason. I think they thought I knew what I was doing. Um, but honestly, I I don't feel like I did looking back. So, um, I, I spent a lot of time being really burned out and not really paying attention to my blood sugars because nobody had talked to me about complications. They basically, like when I was five, they were like, Rachel, just don't get too low and don't get too high and you'll be okay. So that was kind of what I thought of for a long time. And I, um, then when I went to nursing school, that's when I remember I was sitting in a lecture about high risk pregnancy and I was like, Oh my God, this is me. Like this could happen to me. So that's, yeah, I had a bit of a crisis at that point, but it was, it was helpful in in knowing that, um, hopefully we can start moving towards providing education for like through your podcast or, or through YouTube videos or Instagram, um, a little bit more education for the type one population. Um, just cause we are so we're small and special and (laughs) sometimes overlooked just because everybody thinks we know what we're doing. Yeah. (laughs) We do for the most part, but there are are things we should definitely talk about a little bit more. Yeah, totally. So, and it's amazing that you are doing what you're doing and helping people in that way, because I mean, I feel like not a lot of people, like even my endocrinologist, who's amazing. I love her, but Mm -hmm. that's not really a topic that we talk about. Right. And, you know, I try to tell people to, especially because I work with so many endocrinologists, Mm -hmm. you know, they have to not only juggle diabetes, but also thyroid conditions, adrenal, um, certain cancers associated with those. So, um, and in med school, they're not really expected to teach which sounds terrible but so really it's important you know if you do have access to like a nurse educator or a diabetes educator they're gonna have the most knowledge as far as like all the updates for type one and everything but I definitely see like a lack in in the the women's health area I nobody ever discussed pregnancy with me or menstrual cycles or anything like that. I know menopause is always a shock for a lot of women as they get older. And there really isn't a lot of research done for type one or type two, honestly. So that's definitely something we could, I'd like to 
do some research someday and (laughs) get that out there for sure. That would be so amazing. Right. Because I think endocrinologists could definitely push, push a little bit more for the education of that. Yeah. And yeah, that's the point that you made too about how, I mean, endos are like constantly juggling all these things. Right. But then Mm -hmm. I, and I also, I don't know if you've come across this where it's like, if your A1C is in a good range, there's never really like, okay, well, cause it doesn't mean that I still don't struggle with like my monthly cycle. So it's like, but I need still, I have questions. Right. But it's not really focused on. Whereas when it's not good, it's like, okay, what's going on, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and that's, yes, they don't really see all of that, um, all the stress and, and struggle yeah. that goes into getting that. Like I, you know, I've thankfully maintained like a 5% A1C, but my endocrinologist actually, she picked up on it one day. She's like, do you stress out a lot about, about your blood <laughs> And I'm like, yes. So, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's something that I think it's hard to pick up on for sure because we do hold our our uh, illness well for the mm-hmm. most part. But um, that's where you know screening for burnout and and those sorts of things. There there are like tests for that, and we just unfortunately don't don't do that enough just because the way our healthcare system is set up as well. We just don't get enough time with with the providers and with educators for them to kind of pick up on those things. But I think that's definitely for people with type one, you really have to look at the the mental burden that's on them, even though their numbers look great. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. Don't, you don't always know what's how going much on. stress they're under. Mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. So, and you personally struggled with a period of burnout too, right? Was yeah, so good gravy. It was probably like <laughs> seven years or so. I feel like, um, and I was really fortunate when I was first diagnosed. I said to my parents like after I got out of the hospital I was like I'm pricking my finger and I'm doing the shots because I don't like the way you do it did you do it right um, away yes yeah. I, I just Aww. could not could not t- I had some relatives that were nurses and they taught me how to inject myself um so I had a lot of independence and this was good and bad in certain ways because I could kind of hide when I was you know starting to feel that burnout and I would you know, lie about my logs and, um, especially I think language way back when, and still today was a lot of, there was a lot of of that feeling that it was like a grade or, um, you know, so we're trying to switch from saying, check your blood or test your blood sugar to checking your blood sugar. And those small changes really make a difference in the way everybody perceives it. Um, because it just felt like my A1C was going to be a grade and I had to make sure. So I would like just have the best logs and everything set up so that the doctors would be proud of me essentially was what I wanted as a child. But, um, yeah, that was, I think. And then, you know, as I got to college and into nursing school, that was when I, I realized I was super burned out and I was ignoring everything I should have been ignoring. Um, so that took a little bit, just baby steps. That's what I try to tell people just if you're going to check your blood sugar, just do it once a day at the easiest time of day for you and just build from there um, and try to. And I think thankfully now that we have CGMs more available and the like control IQ for tandem and Medtronic's hybrid loop as well, those hopefully will kind of cut down a little bit on the, the mental burden that that causes all of that burnout. So I'm hoping hoping that'll help a little bit for sure. But 
it's definitely, it's a cyclical thing for a lot of people. So it's important to just recognize when that's happening to you and asking for support. Yeah. Trying to overcome it. Totally. And I can relate to basically all of that, like growing up as a kid and feeling like I would always feel judged or like I just wanted to be doing good when I, so I can totally relate to that. Yeah. And I, they, it definitely was, if you look at like, um, a lot of the, um, American Association of Diabetes Educators has written like a lot of really great articles about like changing the way we talk about diabetes and it applies to ourselves as well. So trying not to say, uh, bad blood sugar or even high blood sugar sometimes has a bad connotation. So we try to say like above range, or yeah. low range, um, you know, within normal limits instead of saying good. Um, because you know, the more you say those things to yourself, the, the more likely you are to kind of just feel a little burned out about it. And, and when things aren't within your control and things aren't going your way, it, it feels, you know, it doesn't feel great. So yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Definitely looking for more like positive and neutral ways to look at your, your graphs and, and logs and just um, focusing on the positive as much yeah, as possible. Totally. Um, did you always know that you want to be a diabetes educator or was, did you go through nursing and then you're like, actually. <laughs> so this is weird. So I was actually a music major a performance major. I was a cello player. Okay. That's so cool. <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Um, so I, I freelanced, um, doing that. And then I, this was very sad, but my mom was like, Rachel, you have diabetes. You need a job that can get you health insurance. And I was like, do I really? But then I, you know, as I, I went through and I was like, Oh my gosh, I really do. So that's, Actually, I don't have like a great story for why I went into nursing. Like every time somebody yeah. asked me, I was like, I needed health insurance. But, um, <laughs> but it, it was like, I think that's a really like big problem for a lot of people is, is having that insurance to afford their insulin. That's what I see a lot in my practice right now is, is this struggle to get their medications and all these things that should be easy to access. So that was originally kind of why I went into nursing. And I was very adamant about not going into diabetes education because I feel like that's what people wanted me to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as I, as I saw more patients with diabetes and there was a need for providing education, and I know whenever I've had nurse practitioners or educators that were also type 1, they I looked up to them so much and they helped me like – understand everything a lot better and they're a little bit um better about that that language aspect of of the appointments so I was like okay I think I could I could try this and I I definitely enjoyed it a lot so it was a it was a good switch that's awesome do you still play the cello I I do so I actually I'm gonna play a socially distanced uh, concert it, next week. So we'll that's amazing. We're gonna record it and I just sit it. six feet apart. But yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do get to play a little bit still. Yeah, that's good. And it's so interesting how just to like see how people's path kind of unfolds, right? Like right, right. Yes. It, for a long time, I thought it was a negative thing. I was like, man, diabetes really just screwed me over with this cello stuff but it you know it definitely I'm in the place I'm supposed to be I definitely feel that way so yeah and that's awesome that you still play and you make time for it right and now I don't have to worry about the money I just can do yeah exactly yeah 
it a little more fun that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I, I, for years, I played um, the fiddle, like when I was really little. Oh, but, okay. And then as soon as I got into school and it was like mandatory that we had to pick an instrument, I was like, I'm over it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand that for sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, you had your aha moment when you were like in nursing class, right? When it came to hormones and you were like, this makes so much sense. Right, right. Yeah. So that, that it was just because I think a lot of the time we we're wondering kind of why does diabetes do this to me? Like, why am I high today when I wasn't high a week ago? And I think a lot of it, a lot of it is random, but a lot of it can be explained and often prevented if you kind of know how your cycle works. And um, even, you know, stress cycle, sleep cycle, all those involve hormones. So, if you kind of understand how those parts of your body are working and you can make sure that you optimize those systems of hormones, you can really kind of, I won't say control, but like help, help your blood sugars do a little bit more of what you want them to do. Um, that would prevent instead of react. That is usually my goal yes. <laughs> in my diabetes care. So. I love that. Yes. So, and you were saying the lute, luteal, I'll just let you take I'm like, because I, for some reason, and this is funny because I know like in like fitness and bodybuilding stuff, they talk about your cycle and the different phases and how it can affect your strength in the gym, which is different. But like, I'm always so, the different phases just get so confusing. I'm like, wait, the luteal, the luteal. And then I'm like, wait, which one comes first? Like, I don't know why it's so confusing to me. (laughs) No, I mean, it totally is. And it's something we don't, ever talk about as women unless you're taking a like uh, anatomy or physiology course of some sort in which case it's like a day lecture so it really but you know this happens to us every single month so I'm always like really excited to know that there's this thing in my body that does does the right thing over and over again so I'm always pumped to tell people about it so yeah. I will we'll talk about it <laughs> <laughs> so um the first phase that there are usually two phases. Sometimes people split them up into like sub phases, but um, the first phase is the follicular phase. And this is, it feels kind of backward, but it is the first day of your period is what starts the cycle. So I know a lot of the times it feels like the end for a lot of people there, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of just the beginning of it. So at this point, your hormones are at their, their lowest point. Um, because, you know, you've gone through this entire cycle with the eggs and everything like that. And now we're, we're at the lowest we are, and we're going to focus a lot on estrogen and progesterone. There are a lot of other hormones at work too, but estrogen and progesterone affect your blood sugars and insulin sensitivity the most. Um, and kind of, they're the, they're the powerhouses of the cycle. So during this time that progesterone and estrogen is super low and, because of that, you're going to see a lot of insulin sensitivity. So women often notice their blood sugars are a lot lower than they would like during this time. A lot of, you have a lot more hypoglycemia possibly. Um, and this just is because of that. Sorry, this is the first day your period starts. Right, okay. right. And of course, you know, you probably are pretty tired during this time and um, feeling a little anemic possibly. So um, in terms of like what you can do with your insulin, um, you know, just 
looking at the different basal patterns, most of the pumps, all of the pumps really can do that. So um, when you're first tracking your cycle, you can maybe try a temp basal, but typically women need about like 10 to 20% less insulin during that uh, week of their period because of that such a low um, uh, low levels of, of the hormones there. So um, once you kind of figure out, okay, I'm probably in the 10% range, this is what I need, then you can make a basal pattern that, that works with your period. So, you know, to turn that on once you, once you start bleeding, that would be, okay, I need my, need my menstrual cycle uh, pattern set. Um, and I remember my endocrinologist used to tell me to set one of these, but they didn't ever tell me how. And I was like, oh, okay. But um, so that's one. And some people don't really notice, you know, this kind of varies for a lot of people, but um, you may notice that sensitivity the week of your period, or it might start a few days before. It just kind of depends. Um, so I always tell people to get like an app or something that you can, uh, there's a lot of really good apps on Google Play and App Store that you can use to track your period and make little notes about where you're, where you feel like your insulin sensitivity is changing. Okay. Is um, there an app that you recommend that you use? Yeah, I really like Flow um, and it's F-L-O. Okay. And I know it's on the app store for sure. It's probably on Google play, but most of them do about the same thing, but yeah, there's, you know, options to track the symptoms of your period, which are really good for seeing whether or not you're regular, or if you have really bad PMS symptoms like cramps and acne and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, or if you have really heavy periods, you can kind of track how many tampons or pads you go through. Um, but there's also the option to add a note and say, okay, my insulin is acting like water today. It's not, yeah. <laughs> not working for me. Um, and then that'll kind of give you a better, like I did notice um, that on the 19th day of my cycle, without fail, that is when I start to see insulin resistance. Or two days after my period is typically when I need to switch that basal rate to a little bit less than I normally have because I'm going to be very sensitive. So during your period, you may notice you need to do that with your basal rates and possibly with your insulin to carb ratios and insulin sensitivity, you may need 10% less of those as well. Pre-bolus is another thing to consider. You may not have to pre-bolus at all during this time. Um, you can also do a lot of carb loading because you're going to be extra sensitive. This is when I indulge in cereal occasionally because yeah. <laughs> it is it is okay. <laughs> you are extra sensitive. But uh, in terms of like food, best foods to eat, those would be anti-inflammatory foods just because you're, you're pretty inflamed and that's kind of what's causing cramping and, and those sort of unpleasant symptoms, um, as well as magnesium-rich foods and foods high in iron because of that blood loss just to keep keep the iron levels up. So I always tell people this is the best time for Indian cuisine because yeah. uh, their classic uh, turmeric, ginger, cinnamon are all very anti-inflammatory. And then beans like lentils have a lot of magnesium and iron in them as well. And there's definitely a reason that we crave like dark chocolate and things during this time. And that is, it's got all the stuff. It is anti-inflammatory, high in magnesium, high in iron. So it is now is the time for the, the dark chocolate indulgence. That's good to know. It's like, okay, now I don't feel so bad for... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Your body generally will tell you for the most part what it wants. So um, that's, that's a good one to eat for sure. And then activity wise, this is, you know, probably for that week, 
if you don't feel like working out, that is, you know, <laughs> totally understandable. Um, you're going to feel a little, you just want to do like gentle movement, like yoga or walking. I don't typically have a problem too much with just doing some really light weight lifting during mm-hmm. that time. But it, of course it's, you know, varies per person, but usually you're, you're a little bit more fatigued during this week, understandably, just with the lower hormone levels. So um, you can kind of change your activity as well. But then after your period, your body is now starting to ramp up to do it all over again. So what's happening is your estrogen levels start to increase. And estrogen is generally associated with some um, insulin sensitivity. So you're still going to be pretty sensitive to insulin for the most part. And as it increases, what's happening is there are these follicles and that's where the eggs are. And as the follicle matures, it's going to keep producing more and more estrogen. And you're going to peak estrogen wise two to three days before ovulation. And ovulation you can it's gonna be real gross but um, it's usually you know you've ovulated when you see what we call egg white discharge okay um and i know again it's one of those things we as women never want to talk about and yeah i didn't know this <laughs> right because it's, it's just like uh, rachel yeah. what is that um but um yeah it's basically it's it's this uh you've probably seen it but it's just like egg white sticky kind of um thick discharge that you'll often see. And this is actually some ways that women track kind of their cycle and use as a form of birth control or possibly, you know, if you're tracking fertility, um, that kind of tells you this is the perfect environment for an egg um, is that discharge. So that's why that's happening there. But um, during this pre-ovulation period, food-wise, usually cruciferous vegetables are really great. They have some compounds in there that are really supportive of estrogen. Like if there's too much in your body, it'll kind of flush it out. And if there is not enough, it'll hold on to what you're making. So that's kind of the focus with the food at this point is estrogen support. So uh, cruciferous veggies, calcium-rich foods like tahini or almond milk, collard greens, chia seeds, um, healthy fats. And uh, that's definitely something that I, for a long time, I did like a whole food plant-based diet where I was like 80% carbs, 10% protein, 10% fat, which was super low and crazy. But I kind of lost my period and I had very like irregular cycles and lots of acne and problems eating that way. And that was just due to having lower body fat and then lower fat in the yeah, and that tends to be why women kind of hold on to fat a lot easier than men do is because estrogen really needs fat to kind of transport throughout the body. So, um, you know, don't be afraid of those healthy fats. Yeah. Olives, nuts, seeds, <laughs> um, flax seeds are especially helpful during this time. Um, those have what we call phytoestrogens. And I know some people are a little freaked out by the phytoestrogen. There's a little bit of rumors going around that they they act as estrogen, but that is not necessarily the case. There's not any evidence to support that. So they are, you know, tofu and soy products and things that have those phytoestrogens are super helpful during this time because, again, it, it kind of supports that increase in estrogen um, and make sure there's enough of it going up there so that you can ovulate successfully. 
activity wise, this is when you're going to be your strongest and have the most energy. So, you know, working on those PRs at this point is going to be your best friend. So a week after the period is kind of when you'll see, see some increased strength as well as this would be a good time to try new workouts or things like high intensity kind of interval training. And you also will feel a bit more social and this is because your testosterone levels are actually increased as well. So a lot of, um, I definitely notice this, like around this time, I'll be looking in the mirror and I'm like, okay, (laughs) so um, this is a really good time to, if you are dating or you're social, um, when there's not a global pandemic, you can kind of go out and feel a little bit more confident just because of those sorts of hormones that are working on you. And that is of course, just because this is your most fertile time. So your body wants you to, to feel like you can take on the world. So that's kind of what's going on during the follicular phase. You have menstruation and then you also have pre pre-ovulation. Okay. So this is typically one to 14 days. That's so interesting. I'm, I don't like, you could probably, I'm just thinking like plan whatever is going on in your life, like literally around your cycle. Right? Some people do that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I know like some people are like, do I want to plan my life around my period, but Um, it's not necessarily that I think like generally your body asks you kind of to do these things naturally. So it's just kind of helpful to know, okay, today I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm in my follicular phase. So maybe I'll get some extra broccoli um, while I'm here, or, you know, maybe I'll try bench pressing more than I normally would because I'm I'm just feeling extra macho today. So it's kind of, (laughs) or if you're tired, it's like, okay, I'm not going to feel bad for just resting. Exactly. Absolutely. Cause you know, you just went through, yeah. <laughs> you went through a whole orchestra of hormone fluctuations. So yeah, yeah it's nice to kind of know that things are working the way they should. So, you know, if you want to actively plan around your period, I think that's super cool. And there's a lot of books about that. They call it cycle syncing, if you ever Google it or seed cycling. So people really kind of look into just kind of planning their life around all the extra perks you get from each cycle um, cycle phase. But so that first half is got more insulin sensitivity and it's about one to 14 days long. If you currently want to lose weight, then you probably already know that a calorie deficit is the only way that fat loss is possible. And you probably also know that because your body is individual, so are the amount of calories it requires per day. But you might not know just how many calories you should actually be eating in order to achieve your weight loss goal. And if you're interested in discovering how many calories and macros, so macros are the amount of protein, carbs, and fat that your body needs individually, I've put together a tool that will help you. So this tool is completely free. I'm so excited to share it with you. Just go to tajakato.com forward slash calories to calculate your calories and macros for fat loss. Also linking to this in the show notes. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode with Rachel. The luteal phase is the next one. Okay. And this is the day of ovulation is what starts that. So you see that egg white discharge, you know, you're ovulating. This is the, you're at the peak of estrogen and now it's going to start coming down. And the big player hormone in this one 
is progesterone. And progesterone is not my friend. (laughs) (laughs) It is responsible for um, making the body very insulin resistant. So you'll see this during the luteal phase as well as in pregnancy. You see a lot of it. And that's when you start to feel like your insulin just isn't doing what it's supposed to anymore. Um, you'll notice maybe a lot more like blood sugar spikes after meals. And that's just because of that progesterone is going to start increasing. So what's happening during this phase is we've ovulated and now the follicle is going to release an egg into the fallopian tube. And if there is a sperm ready to go and fertilize that egg, it will do that. And then we'll move on with our pregnancy. If not, the egg actually disintegrates within 24 hours of not being fertilized. So while the egg is doing its thing, the follicle turns into a new structure that is called the corpus luteum. And this is the structure that's responsible for putting out all that progesterone. And progesterone is kind of just getting your body ready for pregnancy. So it's going to start increasing pretty significantly. You'll see that insulin resistance. And basically, it'll get to its peak, and it'll see if there's an egg there that's been fertilized. If it has, it'll go do its thing. And then if it has not, then it will drop very significantly. So that's when a lot of women maybe will see that insulin sensitivity return a few days before their period. Um, It just kind of varies with how quickly that progesterone drops, but it does drop a few days before the period. And that drop is what causes the uterine lining to shed. And then you start your period again. Okay. So how many days before your period is like, or how long is the luteal phase in how many days? Yeah, The luteal phase is another, um, like 14 days. So typically a cycle is going to be about 28 days. Some people have a little longer, some people have a little bit shorter, So one to 14 days would be the follicular phase. And then the 14th day to the 28th day is going to be that luteal phase. And probably like the week or so after ovulation, you won't be quite as resistant. But um, as you get a lot closer to that 28th day, you may start to feel, like I said, for me, it, it tends to be on that 19th day of the cycle that I really notice. I have a lot of trouble keeping those blood sugars down as much as I can. So some of the ways that you can kind of support your body during this time is to really just focus on low glycemic index carbohydrates. So, um, I just love beans, but lots of beans. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but, you have a, um, a download too with meals that are good for each phase, right? Right. Cause this one definitely is hard to kind of meal plan around just cause it's, you're trying to kind of find some, the low GI carbs, or even some people have luck with no carbs during this time. But yeah, it's, I know you probably can link that. Yeah. I'll link to it in the show notes so people can download it. <laughs> Sure. That, so that, that can be helpful for sure to have yeah. a long meal plan for it. So but um, in general, so like low glycemic and. Yes. Um, or even no added sugar and then lots of fiber. Okay. So, uh, and then the mineral here that we like to focus on is zinc and nobody ever, like I never knew where zinc or that even we should be consuming zinc for a little bit, but typically zinc rich foods are pumpkin seeds and chickpeas and raw cacao 
powders mm-hmm. and things like that. So again, you get more chocolate during yeah. this time. <laughs> um, but this helps a lot with progesterone production. So it's going to just make sure that it's nice and steady. You're not going to get way too much of it or way too little of it. Um, and then, of course, lots of veggies during this time as well to kind of reduce some cravings. Your metabolism is going to be pretty increased as well. So that's why sometimes we feel extra hungry. So I'm um, just bulking up on, on the salad and extra vegetables. Um, and the fiber in those vegetables, of course, are very helpful with just flushing out any extra progesterone or anything that's hanging around. Any extra hormones, like any extra progesterone or extra estrogen is going to give you those really bad PMS symptoms that we see. So if you're having extra heavy periods later on or lots of cramping before your period or during your period, it's okay to have like a teensy bit, but mm. if you find that it's super severe, that sometimes is indicative of, you know, like very, very high levels of progesterone. Um, and that can be calmed down with the foods that you're eating? Right. Yeah. Okay, so, so you know, just making sure you're getting enough zinc and um, also just even the phase before that kind of making sure that you're eating those estrogen supportive foods like the um, magnesium rich foods. And, and I think really the theme here is, and I'm a plant-based eater, so I'm a little biased. You are but plant-based? Yes. Yeah, okay. So just eating lots of vegetables generally covers your basis for the most part. But I think definitely if you do notice that you have really severe cramps or PMS issues, first step would be to kind of focus on what you're eating and make sure that they are rich in vegetables, rich in nutrients. And you can try cycle syncing or seed cycling by kind of cycling up the foods like we're talking about with your period. And then for a few months, if that's not working, then that would be the time I would speak with like your OBGYN Mm -hmm. because it could be something like endometriosis or picos or uterine fibroids, which are super common. And then those can be, you know, if we can't get them working with lifestyle, you can kind of um, do that with birth control or other medications as well. That's so good to know because my periods weren't always like the same, but in the last couple years, the first day I get it, Uh I literally can't even do anything. I'm like in bed with a heating pad and like heaviest period I've ever had. I'm like, is this oh, even yeah. like normal? <laughs> yeah. So. And I, yeah. It's definitely, there are a lot of like the, uh, the, the, the big proponents of, of like a uh, cycle syncing. If you ever read books by those sorts of women, they, they're like no PMS symptoms should be happening. And so that would be nice, but I'm kind of under the impression that occasionally you may have a small cramp or something like that. But yeah, if, if it's debilitating and for a lot of women it is like where you just can't get out of bed or you have to call out of work or something like that, you should not have to live like that. So yeah. there are, there are definitely options. Um, and it usually is, is some sort of hormonal supplementation or like birth control, or if you have PICOs, oftentimes they will actually use metformin. Mm. So yeah, if you're, cycles are like that or they're irregular, that's going to be really hard on your blood sugars as well too. Um, so it's kind of worth trying to see if you can regulate it. And then if you can't get in, get in some support, um, to see yeah. what's really going on. That's good to know. Cause I always just thought maybe cause I'm like in my thirties now, it just changed, but 
Mm. I definitely, I didn't know that your diet played a role into each stage of your, each phase of your cycle. So that's really good to know. Right, right. Yeah, food, food is so important. Would you, um, so like for protein, do you, is that recommended? Did you say for your luteal phase? I know like, um, lower glycemic foods, but protein wise, is that, did that help? Mm. Yes, absolutely. Lean proteins are going to be a super good option. Um, I still, a lot of people advise against, you know, if you are plant-based kind of look for different. So I, I'll generally eat a lot of chickpeas or something during this time or um, seitan, which is like a whole, or it's like a, what we call wheat meat. It's made of gluten. Oh. Um, but <laughs> if, you, if you still, <laughs> still eat meat, um, then, you know, salmon, fish, things like that um, will be super helpful for keeping you full as well. And yeah, just supporting this phase. So those zinc-rich foods, lean proteins, and lots and lots of vegetables. And then in terms of activity as well, you should still stay active, but this is when the the strength will kind of come down a bit. Um, And you may start to feel a little bit of stress and overwhelm as well. I know I get a little bit anxious (laughs) during this time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's totally normal. It's just that that's progesterone is is just one of those hormones that likes to wreak havoc on our bodies a bit so that's a totally normal feeling so just be extra gentle with yourself um lots of meditation or whatever you do to kind of reduce stress and again in terms of the insulin since you will be extra resistant for the most part this is when those basal patterns will come in handy so oftentimes we see women need about 20 to 30 percent more insulin I actually, and it definitely varies. That's the rule of thumb I would start with. But um, I need the most insulin in my insulin to carb ratio. I need about 80% more (laughs) insulin uh, during this time. So again, it kind of like varies with with your body and and the level of hormones that you have. So you can kind of experiment. But for some reason, I just need, that's why I really have to be careful about the carbohydrates I'm eating and use a good amount of insulin as well as pre-bowl is significantly more than I normally would. So maybe 20 to 30 minutes before I eat. And I'll preface this by saying that I do struggle with insulin resistance in general. I have a lot of type two diabetes in my genetics as well. So I, I do have that issue. So generally people are not at the, the 80% mark, but, um, but that- that's good to know. Cause even if you do have to take more insulin, it's like, Right. There's a, re- a good reason why, right? And not to not do exactly. it or feel bad or guilty that, oh my God. Not like, your fault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just progesterone. Yeah. Um, and that's, and I think a lot of, you know, that's what makes pregnancy so stinking hard is you have this narrow range, you know, they like to keep something ridiculous, like 40 to 140 or something like that. They're like, as long as you don't seize keep as low as you, but that's ridiculous. So like 80 to 140 is generally what endocrinologists would recommend just keeping it under that 140. But that can be really hard because you have this insane amount of progesterone. The placenta is what produces a lot of progesterone. And as you get later into pregnancy, not only are you insanely resistant, but you got to keep this like super narrow range. So it's, you know, a it's not your fault. It's just the, the way, the way the body is working and, yeah. and just kind of the, the way hormones kind of, kind of do their thing. And so. I imagine for some people that stress of like trying to keep it in target would probably affect too. 
<laughs> yes. I can't, I mean, I'm so pumped. I'm re- I'm for some reason when I turned like 25, I was like, man, I need kids. And then I was like, <laughs> hold on Rachel but um so I I would definitely love to get pregnant at some point but I always joke like with my boyfriend I'm like man I'm just gonna eat tofu the whole time (laughs) yeah so so that's generally sometimes what uh type one women find the easiest thing to do is just find something that works and just do it over and over again for like nine months the tofu has estrogen right it does it has those phytoestrogens and that's what will help during that phase right and that's typically what we look at during like a the follicular phase when you have that increased estrogen but I I don't have a problem eating it like as well as in the luteal phase because you should have a little bit of an estrogen boost during that time as well it's just kind of overshadowed by that extra progesterone okay so um no problems eating eating the soy during that time especially if you are plant-based you don't have quite as many options for low carb proteins yeah that can be really tricky but soy is a really good option there so um especially I kind of do that during the luteal phase that's where I'm at right now and I've just been on the tofu train yeah that's (laughs) really good to know because and I'm like okay so the luteal phase is seven to 14 days before right or no right Okay. I think I'm in that phase right now <laughs> as well. Yeah. About 14 days before okay. your period okay. starts. Yes. That, perfect. That phase. Okay. Um, so yeah, if you generally will notice kind of the, uh, once you start feeling the insulin resistance and you're getting ready to have your period, that's, that's kind of how you can find where the luteal phase is. And like I said, some people are a little bit longer, a little bit shorter than mm-hmm. others, just as long as it's regular. Yeah. Um, and then I should also mention that birth control, I know I get a lot of questions about that. So birth control definitely kind of complicates the whole mm-hmm. cycle thing. Um, it may actually make it a lot easier on blood sugars, so that's totally okay. So the hormonal birth control that we have right now stops you from ovulating. So it's kind of a mix of estrogen and progesterone is in these, like the pill and the ring and um, the injection, the hormonal IUD, they all do about the same thing where it's just a low dose of progesterone and estrogen. And it just keeps the egg from being released so that sperm can't get to it. And that's how it keeps you from getting pregnant. But it does stop the kind of the phases from happening. It's sort of what we call like a, a false period. So like those sugar pills at the end of the, if you're taking a hormonal pill, mm-hmm. um, those were actually kind of put in there just so people or women wouldn't really freak out about not having a period. But technically you could just continue taking the pill and you just wouldn't have a have, period. I, um, I haven't taken birth control for like six or seven years, but I started taking it when I was 14 because I had acne. Mm-hmm. So I was, I t- took it for a while and I would do that where I wouldn't get my period. And then yeah. there was times that I never even took the sugar pills. So is that, is that something that's okay for people to do? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And some people actually do that if they have those really Uh, like if you have picos or endometriosis or something where you have really painful Mm. periods or think you just don't want to deal with them basically Mm. (laughs) um so that's totally fine the the sugar pills are really just there kind of to 
to make you feel a little more regular and, and kind of simulate that cycle. So that's totally okay. And a lot of the time, like if you use like a Mirena mm-hmm. IUD, that is a constant hormone. So a lot of women will lose their period because of that extra estrogen and progesterone always, always being there. So it's the same thing as if you skip the sugar pills. Okay. So that's, that's totally fine. And some people, some doctors actually prescribe it that way, just because if it's, if it's something that would help, um, your, your uncomfortable periods, mm-hmm. or perhaps you also have a really hard time with your blood sugars during your periods. It's just impossible to regulate and it could be affecting, you know, your A1C and it's just driving you nuts. That would be another option is to start hormonal birth control. So you could kind of talk to a gynecologist and your endocrinologist about that as well. If it's just something you can't manage with lifestyle changes, that is totally okay. Cause I did, I think I was around the age of 14 too, where I was taking it for, for acne and, mm-hmm. and just very unpleasant periods yes. sometimes during that time. <laughs> um, and I think that definitely helped a lot with my blood sugars as well. Cause especially when you're going through puberty and things like that too, it really affects your cycle kind of in a negative way. So those are totally options as well, but you may not notice the same kind of uh, fluxes of, you know, estrogen and progesterone in terms of having to adjust your insulin and things like that. So everything we just talked about would be a little bit different when you're on that birth control pill. Um, you really, you'll generally be pretty steady with your, with your blood sugars and everything. So the cycle we talked about mostly applies to somebody who is using like non-hormonal birth control or is just not on birth control at all. Okay. Well, that's something to note. Yeah, that's really good to know. <laughs> I'll summarize it just because I feel like I word vomited it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, so I would recommend just tracking the cycle with an app. Hmm. So the that first phase we talked about was the follicular phase, and that's when we have a lot of estrogen. So the focus is on those estrogen-supporting foods and lots of calcium. So like cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cabbage. Chocolate is great during your menstrual cycle. You'll get some extra iron and magnesium and lots of anti-inflammatory foods during your period to help with cramping and pain Um, And maybe some extra bloating if that's something you experience. Diabetes-wise, you'll need about 10 to 20% less insulin during this time. So you can set a basal pattern for that. And this is 1 to 14 days. And then the 14 to 28 days after that, or the 14 to 28 days of that cycle, is the second phase. And that is the luteal phase. And this is the phase with the most progesterone. And that's going to cause insulin resistance. So you'll want to focus on lower carb diets as well as maybe some just lower um, glycemic index foods. So extra extra beans and um, lots and lots of vegetables, extra fiber um, to kind of flush everything. Yes, love the love the tofu um, and lean proteins is is a really good one as well. And that part of your cycle, you're going to need probably a bit more insulin. So 20 to 30% more insulin in your basal rates or possibly your insulin to carb ratios is a sensitivity factor. And that's going to um, also probably affect maybe pre-bolus times among other things. And if you have very uncomfortable periods, uh, you can try to regulate with the lifestyle changes. But if you do notice that it just isn't getting any better for you, no shame in going to your OBGYN and having them kind of 
even coordinate with your endocrinologist as well for possibly um, getting on birth control if you're not already or screening for other conditions like PCOS or endometriosis. And the end of the luteal phase will be the day before your period. So that's how you know you're you're starting all over again. (laughs) All right. And then for people that have had like fibroids or cysts or anything, does that change their hormones or like how their periods are, even if they don't have them? Yes. So if you have any of the, like I know. I've had both in the past, but I I don't have, like they're not there anymore. And then I didn't get surgery or anything. So I'm like, does that affect like everything else that's going on in there? It, it shouldn't affect it too much if they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know you said you're, you might, you're still kind of having some, some more exhausting period. <laughs> um, so that, that could be something that's going on is there's some residual and whenever you come off of birth control or you, if you have surgery to remove fibroids or they go away, sometimes it takes a little bit of time for your cycle to kind of sink back up. Mm-hmm. So you may have some, you know, extra estrogen or something like that and and just doing the best you can with these you know foods and and different activities to kind of sink it back up again is generally it it might take a couple of months or even a year or so to get it back to where it needs to be that's why usually when you're on birth control or something like that or something that affects your hormones and kind of breaks up the cycle they typically recommend like coming off a year before you want to start mm. having children or something like that, because sometimes it takes quite a bit of time to, to get all the hormones working again. Cause it's not even just estrogen and progesterone. You have like, um, luteinizing hormone and fo- fo- follicle stimulating hormone. Testosterone plays a part as well. So getting all those to work together again can take a little bit of time. So that could definitely be something that you might experience as well. Um, if you've had fibroids or something like that. Um, yeah, that, that can definitely, um, and that's also something kind of discussed with your OBGYN as well. If you notice, like, it's just not, not Mm -hmm. syncing up, like it's or if you're having irregular, irregular periods after you have fibroids or you've come off of birth control. Yeah. And do you have, do you use an insulin pump personally? Yes. I do. And that, I should have mentioned that too. Sometimes, especially now that we have all of these hybrid looping pumps, Mm -hmm. I use like a DIY loop. I don't know if you've kind of looked into that, but that's where it's, uh, you use like a really old Medtronic pump and you use like an antenna for it. But it does very similar things to like a tandem control IQ. Okay. So you got my like middle school nice. and a little antenna. Oh, that's <laughs> that cool. I, no, I haven't. I don't know anything about. It's very things. cool. It's like uh, some computer engineers got together and made a algorithm that works very similar to tandems mm. like control IQ. So it does like an auto bolus. And they did this just so people would have access to it. It was back when Medtronic was the only one with a loopable pump, and they wanted more people to be able to to get it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's completely free. It's so nice. Oh. But, um, <laughs> but it's very, it's super duper helpful for the luteal phase for me because I need so much extra insulin. 
the I know Control IQ and the 370G for Medtronic, they did not keep up with, <laughs> with my uh, period fluctuations. So that may be something you notice. Sometimes I tell my clients and my patients to take themselves out of the auto mode or the Control IQ mode. Uh, and just do it kind of themselves just so they can use those basal patterns and maybe um, just give themselves a little more insulin without confusing the loop. But yeah, sometimes it's it's not as aggressive as you need it to be. So um, that's okay if you if you have to take it out of that and then put it back on at night just to keep you keep you safe from going hypo. But um, yeah, so I do use a insulin pump. And then for MDI users, when you're adjusting your basal rate, um, you can talk to your doctor about lowering like your Lantus or Traceba dose or increasing it, depending on which part of your cycle is that you're in. You can um, change, change up the basal rate that way. Okay. That's awesome. And then um, for someone who's like maybe needs to test their basal or just maybe they just don't know like what, like how much to <laughs> their that's body actually point. needs, right? Absolutely. Yes. And I tell everybody, like whenever I start working with someone, I was like, we're going to test your basal yeah. rate. So um, basal testing, very, that's a really good point is you definitely should know. And when you are basal testing, it should typically be about a week after your period. Um, Cause that's when you're going to be the most normal. Okay. <laughs> that's really part. good to know. Right. You're not going to be in that super sensitive place um, where you are the week of your period where you're extra sensitive um, and you won't be extra resistant as you are in the luteal phase. So typically we want to try to test the basal rate a week after the period. And of course, in a fasted state. So if you have a CGM, doing it overnight is going to be the best indicator of what your basal rate should look like. You can do it during the day. But um, just as long as there's no no food in your body and you're generally not under stress or anything like that, um, and just test every hour and kind of see what the if there are any fluctuations in your blood sugar. So if you are noticing like a when you wake up after you've been fasted and your blood sugar is too low or it's below target where you want it to be, that means that you may have too much basal insulin on board. And if you are above your target, that just means we may need a little bit more basal okay. insulin. So that's a great point, kind of knowing um, you got to make sure you have a good foundation before you make a bunch of adjustments. Yeah, but that that's so cool and interesting. That So you test your basal at like throughout the night because my previous mm-hmm. um, medical team, they wanted – this was a few years ago. She wanted me to test my basal. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it because I didn't want to fast. <laughs> so Yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, so that's really interesting that you can do it throughout the night. Yes, that's, I, I mean, never knew and that. that makes the most sense to me as well, just because you're extra relaxed yeah. generally while you're sleeping and you don't don't have uh, any food on board as long as you've not eaten, uh, you know, maybe a few hours before you go to bed. And um, it's very easy to see, with with a continuous glucose monitor, obviously, if you're having to manually check overnight, is not as fun. But yeah, yeah, I totally feel, I do not want to fast. No, time me either. <laughs> I'll get hangry. So, overnight is a is definitely a good time to do it. Okay, so and then so you would recommend like not eating a few hours before you fall asleep, and then right. Okay, and then that so like usually so, three hours after your meal is when your fast is starting. Okay. 
So, so like 12 or 16 hours, would you say for a good, no, you can, yeah. And you know, there's a lot of different like theories on basal Uh rates, uh, like think like a pancreas by Gary Shiner is he does like a peak in a valley is kind of his thing for basal rate. So you have maybe a little bit of an increase at some point and then a decrease at another point. And then sugar surfing guy, I can't remember his name, but he wrote another book called sugar surfing. And his theory is that your basal rate should be one rate the entire day. So that's, you see that when you're using MDI, you know, you take 20, 20 units of trisgiba and that's that's all you get. And then technically these fluctuations that you see, that peak and valley, should be managed with like tent basils or something like that. Okay. That's a little bit, he's a little uh, <laughs> a little more intensive, but yeah. it's, it's kind of a good way to think about it. So honestly, like it doesn't always matter how long you fast. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually within about three hours, you can kind of see whether or not you're steady. Okay. But yeah, the nighttime is definitely the best because especially if you have fluctuating um, basal rates, like they increase or decrease throughout the night, you can kind of see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if you, you always want to adjust about two hours before you see a rise or a drop that you don't want to see. So okay. 30 to 40 milligrams per deciliter change would warrant like a 10% change in your basal rate. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and is that, and, um, mm-hmm. for people that are on, um, the millimoles, is that still the same 30 or no, that would be different. I, the equation is so confusing for me. I know. I'm, the, I'm always like Googling it. I'm like, what? I, I think it, I'll have to Google it. Yeah, later. I'll probably Google it after too. Because I don't want to say it's the same. Yeah. And then well, even. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you see a pretty significant rise or drop, yeah. you know that's that's going to tell you that maybe your basal rate is off, especially if you are fasted. Okay. Um, and yeah, if your basal rates aren't right, then there's no telling what your insulin to carb ratio and insulin sensitivity yeah. are doing, and whether or not your your period is affecting everything. So that's a good point for sure is to kind of basal test like a week after your period just to make sure you know what's going on. at least what that overnight basal rate should be. Okay. And then did you say that um, even if your basal rate, like if your basal is good, your period can still affect your insulin to carb ratios? Did you say that? Yes, absolutely. So it really, it's kind of just your insulin needs in general that will fluctuate. And like I said, I personally don't need that much. I mean, like a 10% increase in basal rate, but really where I see the struggle for my insulin is, is whenever I'm eating um, a meal, I I need quite a bit more insulin and I need it a lot sooner than Mm -hmm. I normally would. So again, it kind of like depends, but it could be any of those settings that might be affected. Okay. That's good to know. That's so helpful. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and then what else in regards to periods? I think that's probably about, <laughs> about it, thankfully. Um, it generally, like I thankfully it's, it's pretty easy to remember. You got one phase with sensitivity and one phase with resistance. Yeah. And you can kind of, um, and I think also, 
again, people look at me like I'm kind of a lunatic. Sometimes they're like, <laughs> I don't want to think about this like all the time. And I totally understand that. And it, it just takes a little bit of, of habit. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a meal planner or something like that, having meal plans with the different types of foods that we talked about, you know, you can have a luteal phase meal plan and a follicular phase meal plan. Or if you're super lazy like me and you just like to throw stuff in a pot, then having like a different shopping list kind of for each phase Mm -hmm. is a good way to get in the habit of adding different foods that are helpful during each phase. So just, you know, on the, on the luteal side, just making sure you have the most vegetables you've ever eaten. And then on your, on your follicular size, you can have more grains and, and uh, all those things we talked about, just kind of adding those to the shopping list. So yeah, you don't, Generally, you don't have to actively think about it Mm -hmm. as much, but kind of just adding different things into your life to make you more successful in syncing up and making sure that your blood sugars are are as happy as they can be during during that time. Yeah, that's so helpful. I'm definitely going to try, especially because I'm in that phase right now, just with my diet. Like that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really does. It makes. I know. I like said I ate cereal recently, but like, (laughs) (laughs) um, it does. When you really kind of get into the in the habit of of figuring out what foods support your body best Mm -hmm. during those times, it's so helpful. Yeah, for sure. Do you? Is there any supplements that you recommend, or do you like? Do people take, or do you recommend just getting everything through whole food sources mostly? I'm a fan of whole food sources, mostly because there's not, especially as a nurse, I can't make too many recommendations on things unless there's Mm -hmm. enough research to back it up. Um, And they're just really the only thing we have a lot of evidence for is how helpful like omega-3 supplements are. And I think that helps a lot, especially if you are plant-based like I am and you're not, you don't have that that kind of fish source of those omega-3s. And I don't particularly enjoy eating like chia seeds and stuff. So that's another place where you would get those. So I do supplement with like, um, like a vegan omega-3. Um, so that's a really good one. And then in terms of like hormones, there is one called DIM, DIM? dog I am as in Mary. And that is the compound that is found in those cruciferous vegetables Mm -hmm. that helps flush out extra estrogen during your follicular phase. So if you're not getting those through your diet, you can supplement with it. And I did take that for a little bit, actually, just because if you notice you have a lot of acne before ovulation or something like that, some people actually have some uncomfortable symptoms during that phase Mm -hmm. of their uh, cycle. I actually can feel when I ovulate and things like that. Um, But I was having a lot of acne during that time. So I did take that for a little bit and it was pretty effective for me personally. So that is actually one that is very specific to like the female cycle that I see a lot of people taking. And that one doesn't have any effect on blood sugars? No. No. Okay. I, well, you know, I guess I, I didn't <laughs> notice in myself yeah. personally yeah, yeah. that it did. Um, but that's a good point. You know, it could, you know, maybe affect the sensitivity a little bit, just depending on how off your estrogen was to begin with. But uh, typically I don't, I don't think it would be expected to have an effect on the blood sugars. But if you notice that you have like really uncomfortable symptoms or something or adult acne or something like that, that's oftentimes what, what people take to 
to possibly help with that. Or just eat a ton of broccoli. That's yeah. <laughs> I, that's good. I love broccoli. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, I always, I'm a fan of just getting it from the, the whole source just because we don't always know what separating those compounds does or if it's even as effective as eating the whole food. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of, just kind of depends on how, how much you want to experiment with those things. Yeah, totally. Okay. That's so mm-hmm. awesome. And then, okay. So if some, for someone who's like, okay, this is amazing. Like I want to just start knowing how my period's affecting my blood sugars. You would recommend downloading the flow app. And then you said tracking how their blood sugars are during the different phases. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Flow is really cool. And you can get, I think it does a month free or something like that, but they, give you kind of little, little things like we talked about. It's really cute. It does like an Instagram story version of it. So it kind of tells you, this is what's happening to you right now. And maybe this is, this is what you can do to help any symptoms that you're having. So that's kind of cool. It gives you a little bit more information about what's going on in your body and how you can exercise based off of that. And then I do have like a YouTube channel and an Instagram that I try to post more. I really trying to focus on getting those hormone yeah. <laughs> educational things out there. So just finding people that have um, some some interest in women's health, even, even if it's not diabetes related, there's some really good information out there about cycle syncing or seed cycling and mm-hmm. all of those sorts of things. Okay. And then for someone who might be thinking about getting pregnant soon or like making that a priority, but maybe... I don't know, maybe their blood sugars aren't in range right now. Is there any advice that you'd give to that person? (laughs) That's a really, that's a good point for sure. And it's, it's one of those things. I'm not one to be like type one diabetes shouldn't stop you from doing anything, but definitely (laughs) accidental pregnancies are something I would, you know, advise against. So that's definitely good to kind of, you always want to plan ahead especially when you have type one, because you, like you said, you want your A1C to be at least below a seven before you start getting pregnant. Cause that would, um, even, even before that baby or the, uh, the egg has been fertilized, um, you know, the, the environment that your A1C is providing that egg will not only affect the fertility and the likelihood of fertilization, but also if an egg does get fertilized, it could, lead to some complications possibly in mom or the baby. So just making sure that you're planning ahead and all the things we talked about are really important for fertility. So this would be the time to really focus on all of those foods and make sure you're eating all of those nutrients because that's going to really supporting that estrogen is what's going to help you be as fertile as possible if you are trying to get pregnant and then supporting that progesterone, even though it drives us nuts, is going to help you um, support you in the earlier weeks and month of pregnancy when the egg is fertilized. So that's definitely a good question for sure. And there's a lot of great Instagram and YouTubers that kind of documented their journeys as pregnant type ones. And um, I'm always watching those because they are, they come up with very creative ways of kind of getting through, getting through those nine months of, of some interesting hormone fluctuations. Yeah. But um, yeah, everything we talked about definitely is, is supportive of a fertile period or menstrual cycle. So that would be my, my best advice is kind of just making sure you're planning ahead and, and doing that as consistently as possible. Okay, perfect. 
And then you have – okay, so you have the meal plan, um, which I – by the way, I downloaded it, and it looks delicious. <laughs> um, and then your hormone assessment too. You have that if people want to just see like where they are with their hormones. Right. That- so yeah, like, um, like we talked about, if your cycle isn't regular or you're having a lot of symptoms like bloating and really bad cramps, extra heavy bleeding, those are generally indicative of some hormone imbalances. So that's kind of what I made that assessment for is to kind of see where you might be in terms of maybe having really high progesterone or really high estrogen or super low of -hmm. both or whatever that may be. So it kind of goes through the symptoms of those things and kind of lets you know if that's the case, then it's going to be extra hard to also regulate your blood sugars as well if your period is off. So it kind of gives you some resources for either reaching out to OBGYN or doing more of what we talked about lifestyle-wise. Okay. And then is there at any point would you like recommend someone get their hormones checked just to see like where their levels are? Um. Yeah, absolutely. So when you are having those uh, the extra awful PMS symptoms that we're talking about they you can, when you go see your OBGYN or even, you know, if you're unable, you don't have one yet or something like that, you can tell your endocrinologist, I've just been having really awful periods. They shouldn't be like this. They're, they're not good. Um, not regular. Could you check my estrogen or my testosterone levels and kind of see what's going on? Sometimes even thyroid levels may affect your periods and blood sugars and things like that. So they should be checking your thyroid mm-hmm. levels yearly yeah. or every few years, but um, you can definitely ask endocrinology or OBGYN to check those hormone levels for you and see if maybe if they're super off or something like that. Okay. And it would be estrogen and progesterone would be the two that... Yes, but yeah, they can check them all. It's yeah. super fun. Okay. <laughs> just, <see. laughs> just let, them, let them know what your symptoms are and, yeah. and they, they can kind of pick out which ones they think might be might be the best to check. And I know testosterone especially, something we don't mm. usually think about as women, but we see a lot of elevated testosterone in women with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is PCOS. I see that a lot in women with type 1 diabetes, which is mm. unfortunate because it does. It feels like it's very hard to control your blood sugars because yeah. you see a lot of insulin resistance in that as well. So that is something that can be checked also are those testosterone levels. That's interesting. That's so good to know. Thank you. Awesome. So, um, okay, and those two things, the meal guide and the hormone assessment, those are free so people can download them. I'll add them in the show notes. And how can people connect with you? Sure. So I am on Instagram. So that is at give me some sugar diabetes. And I post a lot of just extra, hopefully helpful posts about about hormones and other diabetes related education sorts of things. I also have a YouTube channel. It doesn't have a cute URL, so you can go to my website to see uh, where that is. But my website is www.givemesomesugar.coach. And um, I have a bunch of, I have a blog with some of the things we talked about in terms of follicular and luteal phase, since I know it was <laughs> probably a lot to take in. So if you need to review, um, I do have those posts there as well. And you can see the meal plans and download those if those are helpful for you. Okay. And you also coach women too, who maybe have questions or want to dive into their hormones and menstrual cycles a little bit more, right? Right. That's yeah. correct. Okay. So I do... 
Um, I do that privately and someday I would love to have a group together where we can all complain about our yeah. periods. But <laughs> someday you will. Someday you exactly. will. I see it. <laughs> we can definitely talk more about that. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. So I'll link to everything in the show notes. And is there anything that maybe I didn't ask you that I should have that would be helpful for people listening? I think you're very thorough. Because okay. <laughs> I think you're thorough. You got, like, you, yeah. got, <laughs> you got all the info out of me. I okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> but yeah, definitely if anybody has any extra questions, you can always reach out to me. I, like I said, I love, love talking about hormones with everyone. So <laughs> yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge. Like I feel like I learned so much and I'm just so oh, happy great. to have connected with you. Great. That's so good to hear. Thank you for having me. Yes. I love what you're doing. So just keep up the amazing work and I'm excited for people to tune in and hear and and hear all this stuff because I know that we're not the only ones. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. We're all in this together for sure. Yeah. All right. I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Yes. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Wow, what an amazing episode. Just so much amazing information. I'm definitely going to be listening to this episode more than once just to take in all this info and probably take down some notes. But one more time, if you want to connect with Rachel and check out her YouTube channel and all of that good stuff, her website is givemesomesugar.coach. And once again, you can find all of these links in the show notes, including the links to connect with Rachel over on social media. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you for your support of the show. I love you and I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now.